0: Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five year old and self described anxious eco minimalist. Thanks for joining. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Raising Eco Minimalists. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Jen Gale. That name may sound familiar to you if you're familiar with her blog podcast, which have the same name of Sustainable-ish. She's also got an awesome Instagram account. Additionally, she is the author of two books, one called The Sustainable-ish Living Guide, which came out in 2020, and her new book, which just was released in here in the States, about a month ago called The Sustainable-ish Guide to Green Parenting. So before we get started with our content today, uh, Jen, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you very much. I always feel it's
1: so incredibly British after listening to an American accent.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, and and then I've got the Minnesota accent going on for me. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like the Fargo accent. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I always
1: um, say I'm just an ordinary knackered mum of two. And I kind of say that so that I think sometimes we feel like if we're going to make changes and be green or whatever then then we've got to be some we've got to be Greta or David Attenborough or do you know like some amazing incredible person and and anybody if I can if I can make some changes anybody can I used to be a vet um so I used to work in small animal practice doing dog uh, treating dogs and cats and things like that um and then randomly decided we were going to spend a year buying nothing new um as a family September 2012 I think we started so I've got two boys um who now are 12 and 10 and at the time were kind of just turning four and I don't know one and a half or something like that and very I don't can't think of the word long-suffering husband and yeah so we I had this sort of random made this random decision that I thought would be quite a fun challenge and it absolutely kind of changed my life it changed you know how we shop and where we shop but it also um I guess forced me to confront a lot of the issues around climate and consumption and things that I think I had probably been subconsciously sort of looking away from before thinking it it wasn't really my place to to deal with it or maybe it wasn't really as bad as you know people were making out or all those kinds of things and and then to sort of have the realization during that year that actually you know, it was my place to sort of have a part in dealing with this and that as powerless as we sometimes feel as just one person or just one family that actually our choices are really really important and that we actually can make real difference so that was a very long-winded way- explanation of how we got started
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was a, no it's a perfect segue because I actually wanted to ask you about your by nothing or as you call it your make do and mend year mm. how so how did your family react so the boys um, and apologies if you can hear any background
1: noise, it's it's kind of trying to rally them into, you know, shower mode and that kind of thing at the moment. <laughs> so there might be a bit of background noise. And the boys were were sort of young enough, you know, not to really say so not to really have a say. And and I think and I often say, oh, they were young enough to do as their told. But we all know that, you know, toddlers and preschoolers and even 10 and 12 year olds don't do as their told. But, you know, they, they kind of came along for the ride. And I do think it would be a very different experience trying to do it the ages they are now or trying to do it when they're teenagers and things like that the and my husband was just kind of I don't know if you're like this but I sort of have a lot of air quotes amazing ideas and um (laughs) but very quickly usually you know I'm good at ideas I'm not so good at you know following through or finishing um so he he kind of I I said oh should we do this and he just sort of went oh right yeah yeah lovely lovely you know just sort of (laughs) expecting that um very quickly, I would be distracted by the next shiny new idea, and then when I brought it up again a couple of weeks later, you could just see his little face like, "Oh God, she's really serious." <laughs> so he, I mean, I was definitely the driving force. He kind of went along with it, and I think once he started to to see that actually we were saving quite a lot of money and all those sorts of things, he um he he kind of he did get involved, he, he was doing a lot of the mending in terms of, you know, stereotypically the, the kind of the white goods and the, um, you know, anything electronic or um, technical, um, he was sort of getting involved with the mending of and I was um, sort of, you know, having a go at mending textiles and things like that, we stuck very much to our gender roles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give somebody or a family who is thinking about doing the same? Would you recommend going full force with a year or starting a little bit shorter? I mean,
1: I always say, and I think I said in, in the first book, you know, I've done this so you guys don't have to. So a year you know, might feel or might seem pretty hardcore. But I would I would absolutely, you know, even if you're thinking, God, I wonder if we could do that for a month. Like it's, I think what happens is so much of what we buy is kind of unconscious. It's very unthought out, you know, like for, certainly for us before we did that year, you know, we would think about what, what we were going to buy only really in terms of where might we be able to get this cheapest, where might there be a sale, didn't really occur to us to look for stuff secondhand or to think about where it might have come from or who might have made it or anything like that. And and there's this, because we live in this very consumer society, it's it's so easy to buy stuff, isn't it? Stuff is being kind of thrust upon us all the time. Um, usually it's the sort of path of least resistance and, and a lot of it comes down to convenience. So to to inf- have this sort of enforced stopgap between we need this or we want this and oh okay, where actually am I going to be able to to find that? Where might I be able to find that second hand, I just found it so powerful in terms of just slowing down our, um, our sort of consumption, almost that kind of you know knee jerk, I don't want to say instinctual, but you know it's that I talk about. I don't know if you guys will relate to this. Do you have Ikea over there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you go into Ikea and you've got your list and you always come out with the tea yeah. lights and the, you know, the other <laughs> stuff, isn't it? That you never even yes. knew you wanted. Or over here, we have supermarkets um, called Lidl's, and they have this sort of middle aisle of, of stuff that's on offer. And it can be, I don't know, like wetsuits or a coffee machine or anything, you know, and you go in for a pint of milk and suddenly you're coming mm. out with a fence sprayer and you're like, oh, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um so actually having this sort of set of boundaries, if you like, around what we were able to buy, I just found it a massively sort of useful way of forcing myself to slow down and become a more thoughtful consumer.
0: Yeah. And I think as parents and and guardians, especially, we're told by outside forces of how much that we need. And I think that's true, especially as our kids are really young, Mm. babies, toddlers, because... You need this to to keep them safe or you mm. need this yeah. to be a good parent. And yes. that's not true.
1: <laughs> and I think, I mean, especially for parenting, there's, you know, there's that additional parental guilt on top of there, isn't there? Of course, you want the best for your children. And of course, you want as they get older, there will be things that they want and that their friends have and things like that and you don't want them to be the one kid who doesn't have x y or z or you know to be constantly saying no to them and it's and it is really difficult and balancing their kind of wants and needs with your own sort of values or the changes that you're trying to make can be really difficult and you know and it's, if you've got partners to bring along and all that sort of thing as well it's can be really mm. hard mm-hmm.
0: it really is and that's your book is a great guide. I mean that that's in the title, but yeah. <laughs> really it's it's was it's such a great resource for people that are trying to navigate this journey because I love how you break it out from you've got your you know nice intro and then it starts at baby and then goes up. and that's super helpful. I found it helpful as a parent, and I think other people will too you can just pick and choose or read mm. the whole thing or whatever you, whatever you want to do. And it's got great tips for um, anyone in, in that season of life. So what made you decide to write the book?
1: So I, I wrote the the first book, the Sustainable Living Guide, that came out in um, January, 2020. And then I remember I met up with um, my editor um, in it was after February half-times. So it must have been coming towards the end of um, February. And, I mean, this was this feels, like, unreal. You know, we met up in Bath. We went for lunch. You know, and then, like, three weeks later, we were in lockdown, weren't we? She was like, what are we going to do for book number two? And I was like, oh, oh, gosh, I don't know. So we sort of thrashed some ideas around. And for me, I just felt that I I wasn't seeing anything else like this on the market, the, the sort of eco-parenting books that are available that were available that I could find were quite maybe for people who are much further on in their eco journey do you know they were quite the expectation is you know you it would be 100% reusable nappies and 100% wipes and you know you'd be bringing your kids up vegetarian or vegan and you know and all these things and it I wasn't seeing anything for sort of new parents who might be thinking oh oh gosh I've got this little person now and that's made me really start to be much more aware of the future but I don't really know where to start or what to do and oh my god you're going to tell me I've got to go reusable nappies and I'm absolutely exhausted and I don't know how to do that Do you know it was so I wasn't sort of seeing anything that would just gently sort of take Mm -hmm. parents by the hand and 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 lead them and let
0: them pick some bits and pieces out and I will say that I thought it was great at not making me feel pressured to <laughs> you know it was like here's all the things that you can do but you know don't feel obligated to try and yeah. do all of them at once and that's your story about why you decided to write about green parenting is similar to why I started this podcast because there were, I was having trouble finding a podcast that was specifically for people raising we I call it eco kids or eco minimalist kids mm. You know, there were podcasts out there that talked about it, but nothing that, as you say, kind of like, here's all the information, pick and choose what works mm. for you kind of a thing. Um, it just, it seems so interesting to me that there aren't as, I, I just, I, I feel like there would be more resources out there. Yeah. Um, and
1: I think it's, I mean, even as as gentle as I've tried to make the book and as encouraging and as um sort of non-judgmental and non-preachy I've still found I've been having conversations I did a, when the book came out in the UK I did a couple of um sort of podcasts that weren't sort of eco or green podcasts they were kind of parenting podcasts and and possibly this was the first time that they'd sort of discussed these kinds of issues with their audience and both of those podcasts were quite nervous almost about having this discussion with their audience mm. um you know probably um, heightened by the fact that we here in the UK we were just coming to the end of like our third lockdown you know and and the kids had been at home for three months and Mm. you know to then turn around to parents and go oh by the way on top of all that if you could just (laughs) you know save the planet at the same time so you know that, that it does feel like a difficult conversation to have and a difficult one to pitch but at the same time I feel like I'm sure there are an awful lot of parents who might not label themselves as green or eco or minimalist, but who want to know what to do. And so I feel like it's really important that we do push through that maybe discomfort or that nervousness around, you know, piling extra stuff on people. Um, Because actually this might take away some of the anxiety because you've actually got some nice, easy things you can do.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when it comes to the topic of green parenting, especially to an audience or listeners or readers, whatever it may be, that aren't necessarily super familiar with the journey. One of the common things that comes up is something, I think it was a podcast episode of yours I listened to, where the myth of, well, it's just, it's most eco-friendly to just not have kids or have very few kids. Mm. And I really appreciated your response. So I was wondering if you could kind of address that um, opinion that some people may have. It's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know,
1: if you do a brief search online, you will come up with various different graphs and charts um and there's one that um that sort of I use when I do any talks and things and it you know it it lays out as a bar graph the most e- eco-friendly or the most impactful things you can take as individual actions and number one is having one and I always get this grammatically incorrect one fewer child one less child I don't know which way around it is and I'm like I I don't know how that works I've got two do I have which one do I send back or I don't know what it means. And I don't know if it means, you know, if you were wanted to have three, do you just have two? If you wanted two, do you just have one? How does that work? And I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversation around, you know, sort of overpopulation and resource use and things like that. And there's a great book. I don't know if it's um, sort of widely available in the States called how bad are bananas written by, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I always get this wrong around Mike Berners-Lee and in, in there he talks about the carbon impact the carbon footprint of having a child and he says unless you're going to go and light a bushfire having a child is is the, probably the most carbon intensive thing you will do but I was you know if if you're writing a parenting book starting it off with going Having a child is the most carbon intense. You know, like the last thing we do is want to pile on the guilt to people who have either already decided that yes, they want to start on this journey and start trying to conceive, or already have children. Because like, there's enough to feel guilty about when we're parenting anyway. And interestingly, what what they go on, what Mike goes on to say in that book is that it's more about how you bring those children up rather than how you know how many. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to think that the carbon footprint of a family of eight children in the developing world will still be way lower than the carbon footprint of, um, I don't know, one of Jeff Bezos's kids. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. the the idea that actually, if we can bring them up in a way that is, I can't remember the phrase he uses, but is carbon conscious, or do you know that, that we're trying to sort of limit our impact as a as a family and things, and then that young person when they leave home goes on to uh, to sort of live that kind of lifestyle then you know that's really really that's that's the best thing that we can do obviously once we've already made the decision to have to have children and and um so yeah I really wanted to sort of not to address that argument because it was a bit like the elephant in the room otherwise you know and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people are going well as you say the greenest thing you could do is just not to have children why have
0: you even had children if you're worried about the planet
1: well oh it's it's not quite as black and white as that
0: is it Right. Like most things in the (laughs) sustainable movement, (laughs) people like to try and make it that way, but it's not. And it's my opinion uh, that that statement, you know, you just shouldn't have kids, is a fairly privileged one. Because if we look at the overall, I think one of your stats on the first couple pages of the book was talking about how a huge amount of greenhouse gases and all sorts of other climate crisis issues come from overconsuming. So, mm. as you say, You know, eight kids in another part of the world that aren't consuming hardly anything, it's, yeah, probably not going to be the equivalent to someone in in another area. So thank you for explaining that because I, (laughs) like you said, it was like the elephant. And I was like, I'm just sure that someone's going to comment about that. Yeah. yeah. Just get it out of the way. (laughs) So speaking of kind of raising kids it's important to uh, look at how we're raising them. It's not a secret that our kids are going to be inheriting quite a heavy burden, I guess Mm. I will say, but crisis. And as a parent, it's hard. My my son's five and a half, and it's really hard to know how to start introducing these types of things because you don't want to overwhelm them. And I was wondering if you could talk about you know, how much do we share? How do we introduce it? How, how do we do it? (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: it's really difficult. And I struggle, you know, with my two, I, I, my sort of expectation was that, like, oh, they're gonna be like, really switched on, really engaged, really, like, you know, they'll be the ones going into school and saying, we need to do this. And we need to do that. And my kids are like, massively unengaged. Um, (laughs) But I also feel that it would be quite wrong of me to force this issue on them. Because, yes, you know, this is going to be the defining issue of well, it's probably the defining issue of of society now, um, and is certainly going to be as they grow up and sort of start to make their own way. But I feel like if I push my anxiety, my agenda, my worries, concerns onto them, it's it there's a potential of sort of robbing them of their childhood you know and sort of offloading all my concerns and worries onto them like they're not going to be able to avoid this they will have to sort of confront it at some point but certainly with the with the really little ones I you know things like just really nurturing a love of nature because we we protect what we love and kids you know kids just have that inherent love of nature and bugs and you know all those sorts of things so as annoying as it is when you're trying to get to school or whatever with a with a preschooler who wants to stop and look at every single <laughs> stone and bug and whatever you know when you have got time slow down and go oh yeah no I wonder what that is and look at that and oh let's go home and find out about that and there's a great app and I assume it's worldwide but it's called SEEK S E E K and it's from the World Wildlife Fund and um, certainly over here in the UK you download it it's a free app and then you can use it to sort of uh, take a picture of a bug an animal a plant a fungi anything and it will identify it for you and that was really lovely you know we used that a lot during lockdown when we were only allowed to sort of go out for an hour you know we had to go out for our sort of hours exercise and things and and you know that was a really nice way of sort of uh, engaging the kids with the things that we were seeing and stuff like that so those kinds of things you know getting them Talking about bees and how you can grow some nice things in your garden or if you've got a a window box or anything like that to try and protect the bees and how bees are really, really important for our food. And I mean, litter picking is a great one for kids because it's so it's a great one for everyone. It's one of my (laughs) such a geek. It's one of my favorite things to do Um, (laughs) because so much climate action is very intangible, it's very uh, invisible because it's not like I turn the light off and the polar bears are giving me a big thumbs up because they've got a bit more <laughs> ice to sit on. Do you know it's right. um whereas litter is very visible, uh it's very easy to see the cause and effect, like, oh yeah, I, I had one of those fruit shoots earlier and now I can see one over here in the in the park where someone's dropped it. But also to then see that you've made an impact. You know, you spend 10 minutes picking it all up and you have you feel like smug as hell. Like look at what we've done. This is amazing. And if you're doing it with your kids, I pretty much guarantee you someone will come up and tell your kids how brilliant they are because and who doesn't love that? You know, so so doing these things that they can see, that they can connect with are very keep it very local, keep it very tangible, keep it very sort of action orientated. And in terms of kind of introducing some of these bigger issues, I mean there are some great um, even something like do you guys get octonauts over there mm-hmm, yeah um, so you know something like that it talks about sort of ocean health and those kinds of things so there can be some really nice tv programs and things that can be a nice lead in and over here we've got this there's this amazing lady called um ellie jackson and i interviewed her for for my podcast and um she's a mum i think she's a mum of four and she's written this amazing series of books called wild tribe heroes and they're aimed at Um, primary school age kids so that's well probably sort of age five to about eight or nine Um, and possibly you could you could use it earlier actually in sort of preschoolers Um, but uh, she talks you know there's one about um, a turtle that has a sort of lucky escape from some plastic pollution there's one about orangutans in the rainforest there's one about um, she's got a new one just come out about you know climate change and things And it but it just does it in a very gentle um, way there's lots of gorgeous pictures um, and it's you know, a nice way of kind of starting a conversation with your children without being like, we're all gonna die, do you know? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of working together as a family, mm-hmm. talk about the concept of forming an eco-committee. Mm. And I've heard of that in a, you know, workplace or business or school setting, but I really liked the idea of just doing it as a family. Mm. Can you share what it is and share some tips for forming one?
1: Yeah. And I will have to say right off the bat, I haven't done this with my family because I think my kids would just be like, whatever, (laughs) mum. So this is a, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And I think if you can catch your kids maybe at the right age, if they're kind of, you know, you're five and a half years, probably a really good age to sort of, you know, oh, do you want to be the plastic monitor? And do you want to be? But um, the idea comes from there's an organisation called Eco Schools. Um, we have a very active branch if you like over here and I don't know how whether whether the same It's it's an international organization and the idea that there is that it's for for schools to sort of look at what they're doing and work to become more sustainable and, but it's very pupil-led and they form the first one of the first things they do is form this eco committee so you know the idea is that maybe as a as a family you can sit down and say oh guys I've just I've been reading this book or I watched this documentary or you know and and I'm I'm starting to feel a little bit worried about plastic or, you know, something that they can relate to. And, and I've, you know, had some ideas for things that we might be able to do as a family, but I thought it'd be really lovely if we, you know, if we properly kind of did it as a family. So the first thing to do would be to, to do, you know, some kind of, sounds a really official worky thing to do but some kind of audit of what you're already doing and what you're already doing well because I guarantee you there will be a lot of stuff that you're already doing that you've probably forgotten about but so to do that and then to sort of think about well so what are the things some of the things that we might want to change or we've got an awful lot of plastic going into our landfill bin haven't we guys or is that something that we want to look at or gosh I feel like I'm forever turning lights out and actually that's really you know we're using up a lot of energy and all those sorts of things so you can um and and try and give the kids some ownership of it because otherwise You know, there's enough things to nag and have a go at our kids about anyway. And, you know, you end up feeling like you're constantly the big baddie, always saying no and always nagging and things. But actually, if they can take some ownership of this and, you know, say that, oh, actually, can you be in charge of making sure everybody's turned the lights off before we leave the house? Or what could we do about X, Y, and Z and get them to come up with some ideas and things? You're far more likely to get sort of buy in and things.
0: It's such a great idea. Uh, I had never thought of it before. And I think you could probably even combine it, like you said, for my son to be a good age, an that episode oh. and then <laughs> and then uh, lead that into the conversation or read a book or something
1: yeah definitely and you know when we were um the kids were home and we were sort of homeschooling and things I mean there's so many ways you can shoehorn a bit of uh sort of school curriculum into some of this because you could you know if you went and did a litter pick for example you can count the total number of of pieces that you've got. You can, you know, put it into plastic bottles and glass bottles and crisp packets and see how many that you've got of each and make a little bar chart. You could bring a bit of sort of citizenship into it by maybe writing to the, you know, the most commonly, the brand that made the, you know, the most number of bottles that you'd found or something like that. So there's lots of ways to sort of, you know, sneakily kind of get a bit (laughs) of other stuff in there as
0: well. Those are all great ideas. I know that this question is going to come up as somebody is listening. What, do you do if your family partner roommate is resistant to any of these things
1: yeah and that is really really common Mm. and um i have a membership called the knackered eco club and it's kind of and it is it does seem to be certainly in the sort of home environment that it's Um, it's usually the primary caregiver who kind of takes this on. So, you know, if you're in a a same-sex relationship, it will tend to be the one who is um, sort of at home doing more of the sort of childcare duties. Um, And just, you know, in a completely stereotypical fashion, if you're in a a heterosexual relationship, uh, if if the mum is the one who is staying at home and doing the bulk of the childcare, she, she will be the one usually sort of, you know, pushing and making the changes and all those kinds of things really, really important to communicate. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, so so we're maybe on social media and seeing all these different things, and we're feeling really anxious about this and getting really cross and frustrated that maybe our partners are still putting stuff in the rubbish bin when it should go in the recycling. But actually, we probably haven't told them what's happening. In our heads and our worries, and almost sort of try and bring them along on that journey with you. Do you know, like, oh God, I just, you know, I just, I've just listened to this podcast, and actually, I'd really like us to do a bit more because I am worried about the future of the planet. Are you worried about it as well? You know, you don't have to class it as the future of the planet. That sounds a bit, that sounds very dramatic, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really aware with these gorgeous young little people that we've got that things aren't looking that great at the moment, and I would love to make some changes in the household. You know, are you? Where's your head with this? Do you know that? And sort of having that conversation with them, because I think oftentimes we we sometimes almost forget to do that and to kind of to to just say, look, this is making me really anxious. This is making me really unhappy. And I think the resistance probably comes from that that sort of, well, it's not broke. Why why are we trying to fix it? You know, and and oftentimes maybe our partners are already aware that we're we're tired, and we've got an awful lot to do looking after the kids. And and actually, you know, are you sure you're not making life harder for yourself? And actually, we've always done things this way. So why are you now saying that we've got to do things differently? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of resistance in our brains to change. And when it's sort of imposed on you, and it's not really been explained, and all those sorts of things, then I I was going to say they can be forgiven, they can almost be (laughs) forgiven. (laughs) For making life uh, feel a little bit more difficult but definitely you know keep talk to them explain how you're feeling pick your battles you know if there's something that you don't really need their sign off on or whatever like then that's fine don't even worry about having the conversation about it but if there's something like I don't know moving your bank account or moving your energy supplier and you're both names on the account then you're going to need their sign off then obviously that's going to be quite a big thing that you need to do together there will be some things that you don't that they're probably not even gonna notice. If you change the brand of loo cleaner, they're probably not even gonna notice. If you so if you make a spaghetti bolognese and you put in half mints and bulk it up with a bit of extra veg or maybe chuck in a few sneaky lentils, again, they might not they might notice, but they might not, and hopefully it'll all taste yummy and everyone will still eat it. So there were lots of things that you might be able to kind of sneak in without <laughs> sort of needing them to know about it. But you know, so so maybe save your energy for the um for the bigger ones that you really need them on board with.
0: And I like that you talked about introducing a trial period. Mm. It kind of goes along to what you said about the thought of change is sometimes worse than the actual change itself. But I think so often we do get into this mindset of it has to be all or nothing and absolutely not the the case. So Mm. just maybe you introduce it, doing it for a month or something yeah, and see how definitely. it goes at that you know that might help get resistant people a little bit more on board yeah you know
1: and if you're really miserable with this then because it's it's the change that's the hard bit and then once you've done that you sort of get this new normal and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. actually that wasn't that wasn't that bad at all and mm-hmm. um, so yeah if you can if you can say let's let's have a trial period also you know be prepared to compromise so it might be that you want to do x and they're like oh that feels a step too far where's the where's the halfway point in this like my family the thought of having to go without um I'm gonna say crisps you guys call them potato chips don't you um (laughs) is you know oh my god I could quite happily just not buy them but that's so our compromise is that I buy like the really big sort of family share packs and and sort of decant some out into lunch boxes and um Tupperware pots and all that sort of thing and that you know it's not an ideal plastic it's not a hundred percent plastic free solution but
0: it's it's plastic less and it's one that we can kind of live with and work with communication and compromise are the two <laughs> things that I say the most when talking about trying to do this with a family that is it's it's very rare that you have a group of people whether it's a family or whatever that it has the same level of the value so yeah and you I mean, you know, have
1: to If their value is, um, or if they're really conscious around sort of money saving and things like that, you can talk about it in terms of that. And, um, you know, that actually, um, so there might be some things that might be a bit more expensive. So, say if you're looking to buy some organic um, food or um, that kind of thing. But actually, Oh hold on we're saving loads of money over here because I've just been buying all the kids' um, clothes second hand, so you can sort of show them how it will even out and how it will um in some cases you know save money we, when we did our year buying nothing new, I reckon we saved about two thousand pounds, which mm. is you know not an inconsequential amount of money so um doing that kind of if you are with somebody trying to come at it from a, a different angle that gets you the same result can still still be a really valid thing to do
0: mm-hmm I want to switch gears quick. I've got three more questions regarding your content. And then I've got a couple questions that I ask everybody. So I heard, and again, gosh, I'm getting mixed up what, what platform of yours I, I saw it on, but a to list. Mm. Can you tell us what that is? Oh, I love it. It's one of my
1: favourite things. And and it's not my invention. I think um, the first sort of mention of it I could find was Gretchen Rubin who does the Happiness Project. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and this idea that we're really good, aren't we, at having to-do lists and having um, this big long list of all the things we must do. And, and, you know, in terms of sustainability, all the changes that we want to make and beating ourselves up for the fact that we, you know, yet again, we haven't done that this week or whatever. And very, very quick to forget about all the things that we have done, all the new normals, we've now sort of that we now take for granted and to sort of you know almost dismiss that and um so it can be, you know you can be like oh god Ev- every friday in in the Nakadam Zico club we have a, a sort of thread for what, what's what gone well this week and people will go oh, i haven't really done done much this week and then list off about five things or so so actually this idea of the tadalist and i think you know it's, it's one of the most powerful things you can do as as a sort of starting point or definitely you know as you're going through as well is just sit down and, and scribble down Uh, grab a piece of paper and just write all the things you've already done because you will have done a lot of stuff that you've forgotten about and then you're like oh oh wow and that's really motivating and we managed to do that and we did that change and we did that and and then you know keep adding to it every time you so you know keep it somewhere accessible and add to it every at the end of every week or at the end of every month and it's just a brilliant way of of reflecting and kind of pausing to give yourself a pat on the back because actually you know this is, change is hard and and you're absolutely walking it.
0: Yeah, and I am a nerd when it comes to understanding how our brain works and in, in sort of, you know, mental health types of way mm. and we're wired to notice the bad things and focus on the bad things. So I think this is such a great exercise. I mean, I think it could be good for just life in general. But Mm. yeah, as you said, to, you know, have those small wins, because that really is what keeps us going when we're going against the grain of society, like sustainable living can be. Mm. So. All right. I saw that you uh, had a guest on your podcast and you talked about creating a reusable party dishware pack for kids' mm. birthdays in your town. I've heard of, I don't know what uh, the, the technical term is, but community dishes where people mm-hmm. can borrow or, or rent. But I've I've never uh, heard it for kids' birthday parties. So can you talk a bit, a bit more about this and how uh, maybe somebody could start one in their own community? Oh, it's so super
1: simple. Um, and the first time it sort of came to, I guess, sort of... Um, you know attention in the uk was when a um a pta did it like a school you know parent teachers association as a as a sort of fundraiser so basically it's uh somebody goes out and they can either source the stuff second hand or like ikea do some really great and it sounds counterintuitive you know plastic picnic wear tableware but the point is it's not single-use plastic do you know so it's it's the reusable stuff um and then they you know if you do it as a school or you do it as a as a community or whatever you know one person keeps this and then you rent it out to anyone who's having a kid because you know sometimes you're like oh I just haven't got 30 plates and bowls and that sort of thing so actually if you can just and I don't want to go out and buy them because that's stupid. So if I can just borrow it for for a couple of days and it's just such a beautifully simple thing. Lots of, quite a few, you know, school PTAs and things will do it because they've got that sort of captive audience, if you like, and will do it as a bit of a fundraiser. There's oh i don't know i want to say there's 400 odd in the uk now there's an amazing organisation called party kit network and um isabel who runs that has set up like a, a map so you know you can search to find your local one and actually it's spread now to australia so there's quite a few in australia and new zealand and it would be awesome if it got going in in the states it's just so simple Do you know like you literally source the stuff keep it rent it out to people you can either get them to wash it and drop it back to you. Or some people charge you a washing up fee and we'll sort of chuck everything through the dishwasher when it gets back. But it's, you know, the, the number of, the amount of waste that is generated from a kid's party, and it's really easy to think, "Oh, it's just just once a year," but it's not, is it? Because there's thirty kids mm. in your kids' mm-hmm. class, and however many classes in the in the school, and uh, you know, it, you can quickly see how it adds up. So something
0: like that is just so beautifully simple. It's such a great idea because, yeah, people don't really necessarily want to buy mm. uh, disposable, but sometimes, as you said, we don't want to buy. 30 plates. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's such a great idea.
1: I love it and so if people want, there's loads of resources on the Party Kit Network site, and I can I can send you the link if you want to pop it in the show notes. There's loads of resources on there about you know how to get started, what you need to think about. Isabel's actually you know done some work to find out where the number plastic that the IKEA bowls are, you know that they can be recycled when they're sort of end of life mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's it's and it's there's a really lovely sort of community of all these Party Kit sort of owners and all these lovely ideas they have, and some of them all rent out bunting and tablecloths
0: and reusable past the Parcel kits and stuff like that it's amazing that's so cool I'll uh I'll link to that in the show notes and I'll link to the podcast episode where you really? talk yeah. with her about it people want to learn more so all right wrapping up here there's a couple questions I ask everybody and the first one is what is one of your biggest challenges raising eco kids or green kids or whatever you want to call it right now
1: oh that's a really good one I think it's the kind of um probably the sports kit and the you know my eldest has just gone up to secondary school and there's you know he needs athletics kit and he needs cricket kit and he needs this and uh, different pairs of shoes for all these different things and it's really hard to to find what you need secondhand and sometimes at quite short notice so yeah that's that's really difficult and as they're sort of growing as well there seems to be less and less sort of just in the way of normal clothes available secondhand and things like that so I think that's and and I sort of had maybe got a bit complacent because when my kids were at primary school, we had a lovely secondhand uniform service and, you know, people would donate outgrown uniform and you could buy it back, you know, you could buy it to raise funds for the PTA and things. And it was really lovely and easy. And, and I just sort of didn't. And I assumed there'd be something similar at secondary school and it would be really easy. And then there
0: wasn't. And then there was COVID and oh, it was really, <laughs> really hard. <laughs> One big pain point for people that are listening, this is not going to be no surprise to you, but balancing the time-saving items Mm. that usually aren't the most sustainable that we as parents or guardians often rely on. Do you have tips for that? So yeah I mean time and money I think
1: are everybody's
0: biggest sort of premiums
1: aren't they? Sometimes it is just being able to substitute something so like reusable wipes they're actually not massively more time-consuming than having disposable ones you know the washing when you've got young kids the washing machines on a lot anyway so it's just a case of kind of chucking some extra you know and if, if you're worried about how you'd cope when you're out and about and all that sort of thing we'll just start with them at home for dinner time and for doing mucky hands and faces at dinner time and then you know work out how that works and then have a think about how you can do it at home so sometimes it's just about literally trying to make a straight swap of a reusable item for a disposable item. Um, so, you know, like beeswax, everybody loves a beeswax wrap. So they beeswax wraps instead of cling film. and um, Things like that that aren't really adding a massive amount of time and stress into your life and are just quite a nice, easy swap.
0: Can you share where we can find you, the book... Your knackered mom's eco club, the <laughs> <a> podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um
1: so the the website is a sustainable life.co.uk. Um and there's links on there for the for sort of blog posts and the podcast. The podcast should, if I've done the right things, be available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. The book again should be available anywhere you can buy books. So it's definitely on um the big A on Amazon. I try to avoid Amazon um, so there's some lovely sort of slightly different online bookstores that people can use over here in the UK and I'm assuming you well hopefully you have something some alternatives and things but you know always go and ask your local independent bookshop if they have a copy and if they don't they should be able to to order you one in and I'm at sustainable-ish pretty much everywhere on social media.
0: And I will link to all of those in the show notes so you can check Jen out there. Thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It was a joy to talk to you and definitely recommend your book to anyone who's listening and wants that green parenting resource. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise the eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time. Bye.